Well, guys, I want to take you on a road trip to start tonight. Uh, a road trip that many of us have gone on for many times and pretty often uh, two months ago. And it's that, it's that three-hour trek down I-35 to Dallas. Now, typically, the only reason I go to Dallas is because they have In-N-Out Burger. But every once in a while, I go down there for different reasons, to visit a friend, go to a church down there, meet with a pastor, but always stop in Denton, make sure that I hit that In-N-Out. But there's also something that I see every single time that I drive down to Dallas. And it's a mystery to me, and, and some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a little town called Sanger, Texas. Right, you drive uh, south, you go through Oklahoma, you hit Paul's Valley, you go through Ardmore, you go through Gainesville, and then just about the time you're about to hit the metro of Dallas, one of the last cities that you're gonna go through on I-35 is Sanger, Texas. And as you're leaving the town on the west side of I-35, there is this really large house. Some would call it a mansion. And it's always made me wonder, what, what's going on there? Because I remember the first time I went to Dallas was in the late 90s, and I saw this house. And when I moved to Oklahoma City in the early 2000s, and I would drive down to Dallas, I would see this house. It's this abandoned mansion. It's boarded up. There's no, no landscape, nothing. And so I dug into this a little bit for you, and I just wanted to give you some details. We got a picture of it that's going to be up on your screens. Some of you know this house. You've driven past it. You've wondered to yourself, what in the world is going on there? Well, that house was built in the early 1980s, and it was planned to be a large ranching-type place where those who wanted to buy horses would come, they would meet, they would see the horses, they would stay there, kind of like a bed and breakfast, and then they would leave. So it was kind of this one-stop shop for horses. Well, needless to say, at some point in the 80s, the plans stopped. The windows were boarded up, Everything was locked, and it sat there for 30-plus years. Nobody lived in it. No horses were shown on like the 70-some-acre plot. It just sat there. And what's crazy to me is it's this big house, right? You would think somebody would buy this thing and fix it up and renovate it and move in. But for 30-plus years, it sat empty. And the sad thing about that house is somebody had a plan, Right? Somebody had a dream. The, they had the meetings. They made the down payment. They, they had it all out there. They had in their mind the purpose for this property. But for 30 years, that house, that mansion, has ceased to fulfill its purpose. It's been empty. And the reason I tell you that story about traveling down to Dallas on I-35 and this abandoned mansion that is boarded up and, and vandalized, whatever, is because I think... For young adults, you guys are entering into a season or are in a season where you're asking some similar questions. You've made some plans, right? You've put down some money, invested maybe in education or a move or wherever, and you want to know what's my purpose? What is going on with this life? Because, I mean, we've talked about this before. When you, since you're a little kid all the way through college, your whole life is pretty much planned for you. Your days are scheduled, right? People buy you your own clothes and they provide a house for you and a transport, like they do all the things. But all of a sudden, when you're in your early, mid-20s, you're sitting here saying like, all right, so what is this all about? What is my purpose in life? What am I gonna do? Where am I gonna live? Who am I gonna marry? Who am I gonna date? Who's gonna be my roommate? Like all these questions. 
all surround this idea of purpose. And like that mansion, the sad thing about that mansion is it didn't achieve its purpose. But you guys, young adults, are on the, in that moment of life where you are looking into the future and you're looking and seeking for your purpose. And so tonight, we're going to talk about purpose. That God has a purpose for you and has a very specific purpose for you in your faith. God has a purpose. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to continue in our series, uh, A Living Hope, as we walk through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2. We're we're done with chapter 1. We're going to kick off in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As you get there, let me get you caught up really quickly. Chapter 1, we we spent three weeks diving deep, marinating in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Many of us memorized it with the M&M challenge. If you did, congratulations. I've got about four verses left. But chapter one, Peter gives, lays out what we have in Christ. As followers of Jesus, he lays out kind of the, the, the spread, if you will, of what we have in Christ. We have a new birth, right? We have a living hope, not a dead savior, but a living savior. We, and we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for us, protected by the power of God. And then last week, we talked about that what we have is a calling. We have a calling as Christians. And so that was chapter one. In chapter two, what Peter is going to talk about is what do we do with what we have in Christ? What do we do with this? What do we do with this new birth, this new inheritance, this living hope, this calling? What do we do with it? He's going to talk about purpose. As Christians, Peter's telling us that there are certain purposes that God has given his people to fulfill. And Peter's going to tell us the components of living out the purpose for which you've been saved. So let's read 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Follow with me. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were a people, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This brings me to my first point tonight, and that is this, that experiencing your purpose means growing up in Christ. 
Experiencing your purpose is growing up in Christ. Look what he says. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Some translations say, now that you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, the grace and mercy of God. You see, Peter continues the imagery of new birth here in chapter two. He says like newborn babies, right? You were born into a, you have a new and living hope, right? So he's following this metaphor of new birth, a new life, new identity. And although our new life is imperishable, it requires growth. You see, our old self, sinful self-centeredness, will continue to rule if, unless the seed, sorry, rule if we let the seed of our spiritual life be malnourished. We have to nourish it. We have to feed it. We have to feed this new life in Christ. You see, Paul used, or Peter uses this idea of babies. And if you've met me, you know I know a lot about babies. I've had five of them, and I've watched five of them grow from these tiny little things that you could hold like a football to now my oldest is almost 13 years old. And I've watched this process. I've watched a baby crave milk because babies are supposed to grow, right? If, if, if you're a teenager or you're a 20-year-old and you're still sipping from the bottle, and I don't mean that bottle, like your mama's bottle, there's a problem. Because something has not grown. Something has not advanced. Babies crave milk because they want to grow. They need to grow. And Peter says, like newborn babies long for the pure spiritual milk. You see, babies don't need to be reminded to eat. (laughs) They don't need to be reminded, but we do. We need to remind ourselves to spiritually uh, nourish ourselves. Babies don't go by themselves on Sunday and just gorge on a huge meal to get them through the rest of the week. But we do. Sometimes we go to church like, all right, check the box, got my spirituality, I say my songs, open my Bible, I'm good. And then we wait seven more days. You see, babies are completely dependent on the nourishment they get from mom because they are made, their purpose is to grow. And so should we be dependent on the spiritual nourishment of God's word. Too often, in my experience, and this is from my own personal experience, also as a pastor, is that Christians choose, we choose malnourishment. Right? We, we, we take something that looks like it's going to uh, nourish us and, and grow us. Like, well, let's, let's just keep it real for a second. Like, how many of you have ever taken a package of double-stuffed Oreos, and that's all you ate all day? Like, it fills you up, but it has zero nutritional value. But I think we tend to do this as Christians, is we take shortcuts, right? Like, what are these shortcuts? They, they might look like we follow somebody on Instagram so that they, because they put up really beautiful pictures with some scripture on it, and we read it, and we're like, oh, that feels good, awesome, let's keep scrolling. And, and somehow we think that's going to feed our spiritual life and grow us. Or maybe you're really into podcasts and books about the Bible, but we never actually take the time to marinate in the Bible. Or maybe we follow and listen to teachers and preachers 
who are more excited about growing their kingdom than God's kingdom, but they sound good. Or maybe we only listen to God's word, we read God's word until we find something that our itching ears don't wanna hear. And so we shortcut, we malnourish ourselves. You see, if we want to grow, we need to feed what we want to grow. And we need to starve what we want to die. Peter's encouraging the people throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia to crave God's word just like a baby craves milk. That a new affection, a new taste would grow in them. You see, one thing I've noticed over my 43 years on this planet is that we sometimes just assume that biological growth, meaning we grow physically, equals our spiritual growth as well. And that's just not true. Just because we're physically and biologically getting older does not mean we are spiritually becoming more mature and in our faith. They're not connected. I've met high school students when I did high school ministry that were more mature in their faith than a 40 or 50 year old who's just done the programs over and over. And the deciding factor is always their time in God's word. And then he gives us this idea of consuming, that we would consume spiritual milk. And so the question then is, what are we consuming? Do we consume things that make our faith grow? Right? Are, we, are we filling our mind with God's word? Are we filling our time with God's people? And are we filling our life with God's calling? And then he asks this question, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, and he kind of goes back, therefore then get rid of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He's saying, don't just simply stop doing these things. Start following Jesus. Don't just take things away, add to, grow, mature, move, advance in your faith. You see, if you're not growing, you're missing out on your purpose. We're like this house on I-35, just sitting there. And people see it and are like, what's going on there? You see, God has a purpose for you and your faith to grow and mature. And now it's our job to take the responsibility of our own growth. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Peter's encouraging his people saying, your purpose, the purpose for which you were saved was to grow, to grow in your salvation, to become more mature. Verse four, Peter changes the metaphor. He goes from the birth metaphor, the new life, the new birth, the infant, to a building. He goes from birth to building. Follow me in verse four. As you, now that is a plural you. We would say y'all. So as y'all come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, and this is Isaiah 28, 16, see I lay a stone in Zion, that means God's kingdom, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, 
and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey, which is also what they were destined for. This brings me to my second point, is that experiencing your purpose is building upon Christ. Experiencing your purpose is growing in Christ and then building upon Christ. You see, a cornerstone, like we don't really know this language unless you're some sort of architect major or whatever, but the cornerstone was the stone. The weight and the angles of the entire building were set by this stone. It held the weight of it and it guided the angles and direction and the integrity of the building. And so Christ is the cornerstone. It's the most important rock in the house. And what God is doing is he's building a spiritual house through living stones like you and me. Those who follow Jesus. We are a part of the spiritual house that God is building on himself. All of Christian life is resting and being centered on Christ. What we do as human beings, just because we are who we are and humanity is humanity, we're broken, we're sinful, is that we build our lives around a lot of things. We have a lot of cornerstones, right? The, the, the thing that we rest our life on, that we're building our life on, it's a bunch of stuff. It's success. And so I'm gonna put the, the cornerstone of success in here and I'm gonna make every decision in my life according to how can I succeed in my job. Or maybe it's the cornerstone of marriage and relationship and every decision I make, I'm gonna put it down and I'm gonna make sure that wherever I go on the weekends and wherever I go to church and, and what I do on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights, it's all built on me finding a spouse. Cornerstone. It's what you build your life on. And what Peter's telling them is, listen, this cornerstone that was rejected and crucified is Jesus. But this is the cornerstone that we build life on. It says he's building us into a spiritual house. We're living stones because we follow a living savior. You see, Christian faith is built through God's word and through God's people. This is not a lonely endeavor. That's why we tell all of our young adults, be in a small group. Make sure you're with other believers living this life. As Peter says, we're not meant to do it ourselves. One stone does not make a wall. It says that he is building a spiritual house of living stones. You need a bunch of stones to build a house. You can't live out your purpose in Christ alone. He says, not only are you building a house so that you're a living stone that with a purpose, you're being built into a holy priesthood. And that's language we don't really use today. But the idea of priesthood in the Old Testament is that God had a priesthood. These priests that would go to God on behalf of the people with a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. But the New Testament is that God's people are a priesthood because we've been covered with the blood of Christ and now we have access to God. We don't need a priest. We are the priesthood. You see, each believer has the privilege of coming into the presence of God. And as God's priests today, we live and work together, not just individually as a church, as a body of Christ. We work together at the direction of our great high priest, Jesus. You see, the Christian life is submitted, not just committed, but submitted to Christ. And we are his priesthood. 
And so we take our directions from him. And then he continues on, that we may have spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, if you're anything like me, I read spiritual sacrifices. I'm like, wait, what, what is a spiritual sacrifice? I know Old Testament sacrifice, you know, a lamb. But we don't do that today because we have Jesus. So what does spiritual sacrifice mean? Well, we see this verbiage, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God throughout the New Testament. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, our bodies are seen as a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. That we would present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. What this means is everything that our body entails, our, our time, our ambitions, our possessions, our ears, our mouth, our sexuality, as well as our minds, emotions, and our attitudes, it all, our whole body is a spiritual sacrifice because we submit it to Jesus. We take our insecurities and we take our fears and we take our desires and our wants and we say, Jesus, they're yours. And we take our orders from him. And so our bodies are a living sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15. Our lips are a sacrifice of praise. That the fruit of our lips would acknowledge his name. And then right after that in Hebrews 13, 16. It says our good works are pleasing to the Lord. So it's our bodies, it's our lips, what comes out of our mouth, it's our work, what we do with our body. And then in Philippians 4, Paul talks about our resources, the things God has given us. Because in Philippians 4, Paul is on his missionary journey and he needs some stuff. He needs some food, he needs some shelter, he needs some money, and the church gives it to him. They sacrificed on his behalf. And so our resources, what we, God has given us, is also a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. Our bodies, our lips, our good works, and our resources. You see, God has a purpose for you and your faith to grow up and build upon Jesus, but with his people, with his people. I'm gonna go on a limb here that if you're not committed to a church family, you are missing out on your purpose as a believer. Right, if you're just the, the buffet Christian, I'm gonna go to this church here, I'm gonna check out this church here, I'm gonna go see what kind of singles ministry they have over here, I'm gonna go see how good looking these people are over here, I like their worship over here, I like the pastor over here, his style's good. Like, like if you're hopping around and you're not committed to a church body, you're missing out on your purpose. Because this little section right here, Peter's making it very clear that you all, that y'all are being built up into a spiritual house. It's this idea of community, that we're doing it together. All right, continuing on in verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Have you ever thought of yourself as God's special possession? Because I do know that some of us struggle with loneliness. I think some of us do struggle with, will anyone ever choose me? We've talked about this in our dating series numerous times. But as I read this, I just thought, have you ever thought that you're God's chosen possession? You have been chosen. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not, had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My last point tonight is that experiencing your purpose is declaring the praises of Christ. 
declaring the praises of Christ. That's your purpose. That word proclaim, or maybe in your, your version it says declare. It means to tell out, to declare abroad, to publish, to make known by praising or proclaiming, to celebrate. Like that's our purpose. Part of our purpose is to celebrate Jesus. To proclaim his name. It's not to celebrate us or our church or our churchy activities or our pastor or our worship team. It's about Jesus. That we would declare the excellencies of Christ. And I know some of you are like, all right, here's the evangelism moment. But this is one of my favorite topics because this is our purpose. And can we just be real for one second? Like, I know there are barriers. There are very real tangible barriers to us proclaiming to share the message of Jesus, right? Like, like some of these are like, one is I'm not perfect. I don't, I don't, who am I to tell anybody that they should, you know, believe this or do this because I'm not perfect. I got my faults. I got my skeletons in the closet. I'm not, that's the point of the cross of Christ is that you're not perfect. We're not leading with our strength. We're leading with our weakness that we are sinners that need of a savior, Let me tell you about this perfect Savior because I'm not perfect. That's the whole point. We have to take ourselves off the platform and put Jesus on it. We proclaim the excellencies and the praises of Jesus. Another barrier is that maybe that's just not who you are. I'm I'm kind of a private person. I don't want to talk about my faith. I just kind of keep it close. I'm, I'm introverted. I don't really like to talk about those things, controversy or whatever. Let me just ask this question. There's a line on this rug right here, and if I were to say, the purpose for your life is right there. It's just take one more step. Whether that's in your job, in your relationships, in your career, whatever it may be. Your purpose is right there. None of us in our job would say, mm, that's just not who I am. I'm, I, that's just not, that's not how I function. So I'm not going to go for my purpose. I'm not going to embrace my purpose because that's just not who I am. But as Christians, sometimes I think the enemy gets into our heads and they're like, well, yeah, somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. But Peter's saying, no, no, this is, this is our purpose, to proclaim the glories and the goodness of Christ. Sometimes I think that we just get this mindset that our personality doesn't match our purpose. And I'm telling you, it does. If I can confess just really quick, as I've dealt with this in my life, this fear of sharing my faith, I've come to a stark realization is that I'm not willing to give up my comfort. Like, I know I could explain the gospel. I know I can do that. I know that God has probably put some people in my immediate vicinity that need to hear about Jesus. But I wonder if what I'm really thinking is my desire for you to like me is greater than my desire for you to know Jesus. And that if I bring up Jesus, you might not like me. Is our desire to be liked and accepted and comfortable and convenient, is our desire for that greater than our desire to live out our purpose by claiming the glories and the majesty and the goodness of Jesus? 
Guys, I'm not telling you that every restaurant I go to, every park I take my kids to, that I have a faith conversation. I'm not saying that. But here's what I am saying. Are you willing to think about your purpose beyond your comfort? Are you willing to think about your purpose as a Christian beyond your convenience? That maybe it's okay if someone doesn't like you because what you're sharing with them may change their eternity. So just think about it. Maybe pray about it. But at some point, we have to claim and celebrate and publish and declare the goodness and kindness of God. One of my least favorite phrases when it comes to evangelism is, um, you know, share Jesus and if necessary, use words. That is absolute garbage. That's like telling someone, hey, go feed the hungry and if necessary, use food. Like this is what they need. They need Jesus. They need to be redeemed by the precious blood of the lamb. Our purpose is now forever connected to the purposes of Christ. And Jesus said it himself, I have come to seek and save the lost. The question is, does our heart beat for the same things that Christ's heart beat for? Like, I'm pretty sure if you put your ear right up to the heart of Jesus, you would hear this beat that says, people, people, people. And I wonder, gathering, I wonder, Christian, does our heart beat along with the heartbeat of Jesus for people? Because this is our purpose. So what do we do with this? As we think about our purpose, we have to apply it, right? We can't just hear something and then just say, oh, that's a good word. I hope we don't. Because we've talked tonight that our purpose is growing up in Christ, building upon Christ, and sharing and proclaiming Christ. That's our purpose. So I have three things, two questions, and maybe a challenge. Number one, are you consuming what will grow your faith? Is what you're consuming growing you up in your faith? What you're listening to, what you're watching, what you're partaking in, what you're spending your money in, what you're consuming is it growing your faith? And if you identify some things, and my next question, like, what, do you, what needs to change? What needs to be submitted to Christ? Secondly, what are you building your life upon? What is the foundation? What is setting the angles? What's guiding all your decisions? Is it a, is it a fear? Is it an insecurity? Or is it Christ? Who says, come, follow me. You want rest? Come follow me. I'll give you rest. You come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. I will make, you'll see things and do things that will blow your mind. What are you building your life upon? What have you set as the cornerstone? And if whatever that is isn't Jesus, I feel like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a clanging gong here, but if if we come across these things and something's, the Holy Spirit convicts us, my encouragement is to confess it to your community and then repent, turn from it. Confess it and repent, turn back to God. So are you, what are you consuming that's growing your faith? What are you building your life upon? And then thirdly, 
I would just challenge you to start praying that God would start a fire inside of you for the lost. That your heart would beat just with Christ's heart. That when you wake up in the morning, God, help me to have a view of people the way you see them. Not the way I see them, the way you see them. And light a fire. Start a fire within me that I might share and proclaim the goodness of God. And if God gives you a name tonight, I want you to write that name down. And I want you to commit to praying for that person by name, Colossians 4, two through six, that God would open a door that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ. Just start praying for that person by name. And in doing so, you're gonna live out your purpose. I promise you, evangelism and sharing Christ is the, the single most exciting thing about our faith because God is using you in an eternal way to transform a life and transform and change an eternity. That's exciting. I used to be bored in my faith. And God convicted me. The reason I was bored in my faith is because I wasn't sharing my faith. I was dead. But Peter says we're a living stone into a new birth, into a living hope. Our faith is alive and has purpose. That mansion on I-35 sat empty for 30 years, not living out its purpose until just earlier this year. It was purchased. It was redeemed. And it's now being turned into a wedding venue. How awesome is that picture? That somebody had a plan for it and those plans fell through. And it sat there idle for 30 years until one man came by and said, I want it and redeemed it and has given it a whole new purpose. And they're turning it into a wedding venue. <laughs> I love it. That's the story of the cross. That's the story of the cross. That God doesn't just redeem you, but he gives you a new purpose a purpose that will actually let you and allow you to flourish in this life. Instead of chasing the hopes and dreams of this dead world. Like we've seen it over the last two months. We've seen jobs disappear. We've seen our economy tank. We've seen every comfort we have be taken away. Good thing that's not our purpose as a Christian. Our purpose as a Christ follower is to grow up in him, to build our life on him, so that we may proclaim him to those around us. We're gonna go into our 120 seconds and we're gonna leave those questions up on the screen. I would just ask you to prayerfully stop and pray through those questions. And then we'll sing a few more songs and I'll close us here in just a minute, let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you, God, that you are a God of redemption. That you see us and you know us and you have redeemed us by the blood of Christ. And in doing so, you have not just saved us, but you have given us a new purpose. God, I pray for every person on the other side of that camera. God, that you would speak to them. Speak to their purpose in you. Show them their purpose in you. Convict them of their purpose in you. And help us to respond in humility that we might repent and turn back to you and live 
your purpose in this world.